Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights. It's time for your bedtime story. Brought to you by me, the Suze. Also brought to you by me, Zelda. Put your PJs on and sit down for a soothing bedtime story. It's not just the devil in the details. What else is lurking? Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights. Hello. It's not quite night. It's getting brighter and brighter in the night. Lovely. Hi, Michelle. Uh, yeah. Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights. <laughs> it's still light out, which is nice. But we've got some stories for you. Some good times. Absolutely. We've got Ken again because, uh, Zelda is hot on the campaign trail. And Michelle will be on she's, with us next Tuesday. She's swaying those uh, those voters to vote. She's riding the crest of the blue wave. She's totally involved. Yeah, and Michelle. Talking to people. Michelle's gonna join Susan on. Uh, gonna join in with you uh, next Tuesday. She said the twentieth, so I'm excited yeah, about that. That's five days from now. Yeah, got some time to find some dragon stuff. Ooh. She likes dragons. Yeah. Doesn't she like dragons? She likes it all. She's, she's a good-natured uh, fan of yeah. fantasy. So. Well, like I said, uh, here at Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights, we like fairies, but we also like the fascinating, the spectacular, the yeah. fantasy, the interesting, and dragons fall into that. Because there are dragons. They exist, probably, but yeah. I've never seen one. So Well We'll find out some stories about dragons. Shouldn't be too hard. Oh, I'm sure there's there's plenty of good stuff. So uh not as yeah. hard as unicorns. I tried to find some stories about unicorns, no go. You got a grudge. I couldn't find anything. You're mad. I'm mad. <laughs> You're right. You're right. I'm angry because the world won't give me all the unicorns I want. I understand. Yeah. yeah. Okay. It's not a good thing. You got but yeah, it. lots okay. of good stuff uh, uh, for tonight. Uh, yeah. we, we've got a, a, a mixed bag. Uh, it will, we'll do at least one Let's Pretend for everybody tonight. Uh, and uh, We're going to yeah. do a mulligan stew. A mm -hmm. hula blue. Mm -hmm. A lot of animal-related things and some... Uh, and, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a lot of discovery of um, you know what these stories are about too. I did check the audio on everything tonight to make sure everything was in order and we are good to go. Oh, cool! Yeah, you you recombed it down, and we are um, continuing our process of the exciting chapters of Oz. After the Wizard of Oz was published, the um, marvelous author. Land. L. Frank Baum was begged, begged by the children of America to write more books about us and the Tin Woodsman and the Scarecrow and the Cowardly Lion. And because he was begged by these children, hundreds of letters, he waited till he had hundreds of letters. And when he had hundreds of letters, he began writing the book called The Marvelous Land of Oz, which last Tuesday we heard chapter one and two of. And this yes. to this Thursday we have chapter three and four of, yeah. but there are several books that I read as a child. I'm kind of um, happy about the 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 about Oz. 
chapter three has got an exciting title, Flight of the Fugitives. Yeah. Well, so who knows what that's about? Who knows? But I, know, it's probably about escaping a witch. Yeah. Because and there's more than Oz, there's more to Oz than as as Foxfire knows. She knows. There's more to Oz than just the Wizard of Oz, the book. There are at least I forget how many books, ten books. I have them physically in my home. You've got old editions. Copies. You've got old editions too. Not the not originals, but you know, no. early editions. Yeah, er, well, early editions, some, but um, some from the 60s, some from, you know, the 50s. And then after L. Frank Baum died, um, other authors took up the Oz mantle. They took up the torch and began writing mm -hmm. another 10 books. So there, uh, there's tons. But um, we at least have a couple. So. Yeah, you know, it's 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 nice because you know there's a lot of beloved authors in a lot of different genres. I mean, that happened with yeah. with Lovecraft too. A lot of authors picked up and expanded upon his universe, his world building. And exactly. Um, yeah. You know, and that and again, like I said on Tuesday, that that's really fascinating to me when um you you know, the the world almost takes precedent over the individual characters. And that's that's the same with Lovecraft too, although yeah, wildly different and and uh, uh, topic or, awful. Yeah. Um, but you know, but no, the the odd stuff is fascinating. It's a sprawling landscape, and uh, and I'm I'm excited to uh, be part of the shows when we're doing uh, the marvelous <coughs> land of Oz. I'm excited for you to be there too, and uh, it's it's character driven and it's exciting in that format. And I I have. Enjoyed it as a small child and wanted to read all the books again, but I just don't read like I used to. So I'm really excited about someone else reading it to me. There you go. So, there you go. Yeah. Well, so we could hear something, or we could. Well, um, yeah, chat let's let, yeah, let's go ahead and uh, start off with something short uh, from uh, the Pink Fairy book. Okay, which one uh, is that? The cat's elopement. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I like that. Um, I don't think... I think I listened to a little of it and thought it was interesting. So, okay, great. Well, I but know uh, what do you think it's about since well, we've never heard of this? Well, I, I have hopes uh, that, um, you know, because Tennessee really wants a girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, he and sure does. He loves ladies. He loves... He, and he especially loves his mom. He and, does. Uh, it, it's kind so and funny. Cat. It is so funny the way he acts towards me versus how he acts towards Susan. He's very loving towards both of us, but the looks he gives to Susan and and he'll like he'll like run at me and like slap my leg if I'm walking past him yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, he will. But he doesn't do that to Susan. No, so. he doesn't. But he does. He does slap you like. I mean, he does treat you like his wingman. Like, yeah. hey, let's go out and see girls, and he smacks yeah. you like, hey, you're not playing rough enough, and. He looks at me like I'm glass, and he loves me, and I'm I'm the yeah. sweetest girl in the world, which is so kind of weird and creepy. But I do love him. So well, I'm gonna guess that this is, about, this is about a cat uh, that goes to Vegas and gets married by an Elvis impersonator. That's a good guess. <laughs> I'm that would be adorable, and that is a story you should write. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's about. Cat 
falling in love and leaving home, but coming back home at the end. Yeah. yeah. So. And yes, uh, uh, all, all of our cats are fixed. Living out. All of our Tennessee cats are days. fixed because we don't want no kitties. No, because we, there are there are several wild cats and uh, feral animals that roam the neighborhood, and we try to catch them and fix them with the local APL program. Yeah. Because kittens are beautiful and wonderful, and that's why we don't want them around in our neighborhood. We like them on the internet. We've got the internet yeah. to look at kids. We want people to be responsible pet owners. Uh, we, you know, exactly. We, all exactly. of our cats That's have been rescues. You know, we don't buy fancy cats. Um, no. You know, and we make sure that they're all of our cats are literally taken from the backyard, yeah. unless of a friend of ours is trying uh -huh. to home a cat, but, and then uh, we take them and get them fixed. Yeah. But uh, yeah. but yeah, we, we and and we don't have indoor outdoor cats. I do take Tennessee outside, um, at night. That's a, our little ritual as we walk out to the patio. But I hold him the entire time, and I'm probably going to get him an escape proof harness at some point too. Um, but uh, but yeah. So Ellen, that's he, funny. He does do well with walking. Tennessee yeah. likes to walk, and I I was doing the several times I was doing the um gardening and he enjoyed sitting on a little with a little harness and and watched me garden but he got a little scared when a car drove by too loud yeah so. motorcycle whatever but yeah the harness it wasn't it's not an escape proof harness so um yeah. uh we have to get a new one but uh oh in foxfire says mr stapleton rest his striped old soul Aww. was in love with my husband he used to sit on his chest and knead and drool yeah we had kneading drooling cats and you know what's funny is we have our cat tim who who likes to knead and we say it's you know he's making you biscuits he'll just go because he really likes the micro fleece blankets and he like gets really excited kneading those and and what's funny is is tennessee doesn't know how to knead so he just kind of like will like violently kind of rip uh, at you know the the whatever blankets are there or, or like my shirt if he wants me to move my arm or something. So because he likes to curl up in my armpit, which is pretty funny. Except one day pretty I adorable. I, I smell uh, one one day I was laying down after working outside and I smelled kind of bad and he ro curled up by my armpit and was like, "I'm gonna sleep by your feet." <laughs> <laughs> so they they smell less. Um, but mm -hmm, anyway, mm -hmm. so, all right, well, let's get into, uh, the cat's elopement, um, from, uh, the pink fairy book here. And I'm here we go. This is Liberbox. Yeah. I like the one. Andrew That's Lang pink fairy, pink fairy book. I'm sorry. I like a lot of them. I like a lot of them. So, okay. Yeah, Cause I, ju I just, I just started it there. So okay, we, go ahead. we have a bit of a delay, but here I'm playing it now. Section one of the pink fairy book. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Pink Fairy Book by Andrew Lang The Cat's Elopement From the Japanese Martian und Sagen von David Brown's Leipzig Wilhelm Friedrich Once upon a time there lived a cat of marvelous beauty, with a skin as soft and shining as silk, and wise green eyes that could see even in the dark. His name was Gon, and he belonged to a music teacher who was so fond and proud of him that he would not have parted with him for anything in the world. Now not far from the music master's house there dwelt a lady who possessed a most lovely little pussycat called Coma, 
She was such a little dear altogether, and blinked her eyes so daintily, and ate her supper so tidily, and when she had finished she licked her pink nose so delicately with her little tongue, that her mistress was never tired of saying, "'Coma, coma, what should I do without you?' Well, it happened one day that these two went out for an evening stroll, met under a cherry tree, and in one moment fell madly in love with each other. Gon had long felt that it was time for him to find a wife, for all the ladies in the neighborhood paid him so much attention that it made him quite shy. But he was not easy to please, and did not care about any of them. Now before he had time to think, Cupid had entangled him in his net, and he was filled with love towards Coma. She fully returned his passion, but, like a woman, she saw the difficulties in the way, and consulted sadly with Gon as to the means of overcoming them. Gon entreated his master to set matters right by buying Coma, but her mistress would not part from her. Then the music-master was asked to sell Gon to the lady, but he declined to listen to any such suggestion, so everything remained as before. At length the love of the couple grew to such a pitch that they determined to please themselves, and to seek their fortunes together. So one moonlit night they stole away, and ventured out into an unknown world. All day long they marched bravely on through the sunshine, till they had left their homes far behind them and towards evening they found themselves in a large park. The wanderers by this time were very hot and tired, and the grass looked very soft and inviting, and the trees cast cool deep shadows, when suddenly an ogre appeared in this paradise, in the shape of a big, big dog. He came springing toward them, showing all his teeth, and Coma shrieked and rushed up a cherry-tree. Gon, however, stood his ground boldly and prepared to give battle, for he felt that Coma's eyes were upon him, and that he must not run away. But, alas, his courage would have availed him nothing had his enemy once touched him, for he was large and powerful and very fierce. From her perch in the tree Coma saw it all, and screamed with all her might, hoping that someone would hear and come to help. Luckily a servant of the princess to whom the park belonged was walking by, and he drove off the dog, and picking up the trembling gun in his arms, carried him to his mistress. So poor little Coma was left alone, while Gon was borne away full of trouble, not in the least knowing what to do. Even the attention paid to him by the princess, who was delighted with his beauty and pretty ways, did not console him. But there was no use in fighting against fate, and he could only wait and see what would turn up. The princess, Gon's new mistress, was so good and kind that everybody loved her, and she would have led a happy life had it not been for a serpent who had fallen in love with her and was constantly annoying her by his presence. Her servants had orders to drive him away as often as he appeared, but as they were careless and the serpent very sly, it sometimes happened that he was able to slip past them and to frighten the princess by appearing before her. One day she was seated in her room, playing on her favorite musical instrument, when she felt something gliding up her sash, and saw the enemy making his way to kiss her cheek. She shrieked and threw herself backwards, and gone, who had been curled up on a stool at her feet, understood her terror, and with one bound seized the snake by the neck. He gave him one bite and one shake and flung him on the ground, where he lay, never to worry the princess any more. Then she took Gon in her arms and praised and caressed him, and saw that he had the nicest bits to eat, and the softest mats to lie on, and he would have had nothing in the world to wish for if only he could have seen Coma again. Time passed on, and one morning Gon lay before the house door, basking in the sun. He looked lazily at the world stretched out before him, 
and saw in the distance a big ruffian of a cat teasing and ill-treating quite a little one. He jumped up, full of rage, and chased away the big cat, and then turned to comfort the little one, when his heart nearly burst with joy to find that it was Coma. At first Coma did not know him again. He had grown so large and stately, but when it dawned upon her who it was, her happiness knew no bounds, and they rubbed their heads and their noses again and again, while their purring might have been heard a mile off. Paw in paw they appeared before the princess, and told her the story of their life and its sorrows. The princess wept for sympathy, and promised that they should never more be parted, but should live with her to the end of their days. By and by the princess herself got married, and brought a prince to dwell in the palace in the park, and she told him all about her two cats, and how brave Gon had been, and how he had delivered her from her enemy, the serpent. And when the prince heard, he swore they should never leave them, but should go with the princess wherever she went. So it all fell out as the princess wished, and Gon and Coma had many children, and so had the princess, and they all played together, and were friends to the end of their lives. End of The Cat's Elopement Recording by Elliot Miller www.voiceofe.com What do you think of that? Cute. Adorable. Those cats really wanted to get married. Yeah. Most cats should. Trying out a little <laughs> bit of different uh, transition music from the uh, Carnival of the Animals. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, I've got some other stuff, other music in there. It's all pretty short, so. Um, yeah, but, I like, uh, what is it, what is it, who's the, the, com the composer, what's his name? The composter? Luke. Um, compo no, I'm the composter. <laughs> I'm the one that composts and recycles like a fiend. Um, uh, composer. It is, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's on, it's on there, that's okay. Uh, Saint Sands. Yeah, he it's Dance Bernstein? of Macabre. I just find it to be kind of fun and magical and fun. Bernstein. Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, yeah, but no, that that was a fun little way to start the show. Little uh, little kitty cat uh, romance action. So yeah, everyone loves some some kitty cat romance. Yeah. So and a good human owner too. That that was uh, you know that was very upbeat too. Uh, you know having the nice happily ever after in there instead of you know um, you know grim like you know making them go through like ten cycles of hell or something. You know. <laughs> yeah, I like the Andrew Lang fairy tale books. They're mm -hmm. a little bit. I mean, they're they're not completely radio friendly um, drama driven and yeah. as. As some let's pretend is, but they're a nice little story, and uh, there might not be blood, you no. know. So sure, yeah, yeah. You, should, you know, uh, it doesn't always have to be blood and gore. Um, yeah. And uh, no, but that that was nice. That was a nice little way to start things off. Um, now, yeah. So we've got uh, all the all the rest of the stuff is relatively long that we have. So, I don't know, maybe we should uh, go with a, a spring fling from the Yellow Fairy book and uh, do the Flower Queen's Daughter. Yeah, I was curious about that because uh, I just find that to be a fancy... Who's the Flower Queen? Of yeah. course she's got a daughter. Who's her daughter? It's, you know. it's a matriarchy. 
I'm getting into flowers this spring, as I always do. We got and, a lot uh, of nice things popping up in our yard this year. I'm we do, and I, I, I'm, yeah, and I love seeing them from a distance. Other people's flowers. It's more exciting than seeing other people's name brand clothing or jewelry. Seeing their flowers from a distance. Yeah. Yeah. So. So yeah. and uh, and we've got our our lovely uh, pink. Uh, pink uh, uh, blooms on our redbud tree right now, which is very exciting when Tennessee sits in the window there and uh, yeah. it looks adorable with the pink flowers in the background against our purple walls and everything. It's nice. Um, yeah. So, all right. So I'm going to cue up a little bit of music here. Let's go. Let's go. And we're going to so listen it's the... to okay. Yellow Fairy from the Yellow Fairy book, The Flower Queen's Daughter. Chapter 29 of The Yellow Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer. The Yellow Fairy Book, edited by Andrew Lang. Chapter 29, The Flower Queen's Daughter. From the Buco Winier von Willio Locke. A young prince was riding one day through a meadow that stretched for miles in front of him, when he came to a deep, open ditch. He was turning aside to avoid it when he heard the sound of someone crying in the ditch. He dismounted from his horse and stepped along in the direction the sound came from. To his astonishment, he found an old woman who begged him to help her out of the ditch. The prince bent down and lifted her out of her living grave, asking her at the same time how she had managed to get there. "'My son,' answered the old woman, "'I am a very poor woman, and soon after midnight I set out for the neighboring town in order to sell my eggs in the market on the following morning. But I lost my way in the dark and fell into this deep ditch where I might have remained forever, but for your kindness. Then the prince said to her, You can hardly walk. I will put you on my horse and lead you home. Where do you live? Over there, at the edge of the forest, in the little hut you see in the distance, replied the old woman. The prince lifted her onto his horse, and soon they reached the hut, where the old woman got down, and turning to the prince said, just wait a moment and i will give you something and she disappeared into her hut but returned very soon and said you are a mighty prince but at the same time you have a kind heart which deserves to be rewarded would you like to have the most beautiful woman in the world for your wife most certainly i would replied the prince so the old woman continued the most beautiful woman in the world is the daughter of the queen of the flowers who has been captured by a dragon if you wish to marry her you must first set her free and this i will help you to do i will give you this little bell if you ring it once the king of the eagles will appear if you ring it twice the king of the foxes will come to you and if you ring it three times, you will see the king of the fishes by your side. These will help you if you are in any difficulty. Now farewell, and heaven prosper your undertaking. She handed him the little bell, and there disappeared hut and all, as though the earth had swallowed her up. 
Then it dawned on the prince that he had been speaking to a good fairy, and, putting the little bell carefully in his pocket, he rode home and told his father that he meant to set the daughter of the flower queen free, and intended setting out on the following day into the wide world in search of the maid. So the next morning the prince mounted his fine horse and left his home. He had roamed round the world for a whole year, and his horse had died of exhaustion. While he himself had suffered much from want and misery, but still he had come on no trace of her he was in search of. At last one day he came to a hut, in front of which sat a very old man. The prince asked him, "'Do you not know where the dragon lives who keeps the daughter of the Flower Queen prisoner?' "'No, I do not,' answered the old man. "'But if you go straight along this road for a year, "'you will reach a hut where my father lives, "'and possibly he may be able to tell you.' "'The prince thanked him for his information "'and continued his journey for a whole year along the same road, "'and at the end of it came to the little hut "'where he found a very old man. "'He asked him the same question, and the old man answered, "'No?' I do not know where the dragon lives, but go straight along this road for another year, and you will come to a hut in which my father lives. I know he can help you. And so the prince wandered on for another year, always on the same road, and at last reached the hut where he found the third old man. He put the same question to him as he had put to his son and grandson. But this time the old man answered, The dragon lives up there on the mountain, and he's just begun his year of sleep. For one whole year he is always awake, and the next he sleeps. But if you wish to see the flower queen's daughter, go up the second mountain. The dragon's old mother lives there, and she has a ball every night, to which the flower queen's daughter goes regularly. So the prince went up the second mountain, where he found a castle all made of gold, with diamond windows. He opened the big gate leading into the courtyard, and was just going to walk in, when seven dragons rushed on him, and asked him what he wanted. The prince replied, I have heard so much of the beauty and kindness of the dragon's mother, and would like to enter her service. This flattering speech pleased the dragons, and the eldest of them said, Well, you may come with me, and I will take you to the mother dragon. They entered the castle and walked through twelve splendid halls, all made of gold and diamonds. In the twelfth room they found the mother dragon seated on a diamond throne. She was the ugliest woman under the sun and added to it all she had three heads her appearance was a great shock to the prince and so was her voice which was like the croaking of many ravens she asked him why have you come here the prince answered at once i have heard so much of your beauty and kindness that i would very much like to enter your service "'Very well,' said the mother dragon. "'But if you wish to enter my service, "'you must first lead my mare out to the meadow, 
and look after her for three days. But if you don't bring her home safely every evening, we will eat you up. The prince undertook the task and led the mare out to the meadow. But no sooner had they reached the grass than she vanished. The prince sought her in vain, and at last in despair sat down on a big stone and contemplated his sad fate. As he sat thus, lost in thought, he noticed an eagle flying over his head. Then he suddenly bethought him of his little bell, and taking it out of his pocket, he rang it once. In a moment he heard a rustling sound in the air beside him, and the king of the eagles sank at his feet. "'I know what you want of me,' the bird said. "'You are looking for the mother dragon's mare who is galloping about among the clouds. I will summon all the eagles of the air together, and order them to catch the mare and bring her to you.' And with these words the king of the eagles flew away. Towards evening the prince heard a mighty rushing sound in the air, and when he looked up he saw thousands of eagles driving the mare before them. They sank at his feet on to the ground and gave the mare over to him. Then the prince rode home to the old mother dragon, who was full of wonder when she saw him, and said, "'You have succeeded today in looking after my mare, and as a reward you shall come to my ball tonight.' She gave him at the same time a cloak made of copper, and led him to a big room where several young he-dragons and she-dragons were dancing together. Here, too, was the Flower Queen's beautiful daughter. Her dress was woven out of the most lovely flowers in the world, and her complexion was like lilies and roses. As the prince was dancing with her, he managed to whisper in her ear, "'I have come to set you free.' Then the beautiful girl said to him, "'If you succeed in bringing the mare back safely at the third day, ask the mother dragon to give you a foal of the mare as a reward.' The ball came to an end at midnight, and early next morning the prince again led the mother dragon's mare out into the meadow, but again she vanished before his eyes. Then he took out his little bell and rang it twice. In a moment the king of the foxes stood before him and said, "'I already know what you want, and I will summon all the foxes of the world together to find the mare who has hidden herself in a hill.' With these words the king of the foxes disappeared, and in the evening many thousand foxes brought the mare to the prince. Then he rode home to the mother dragon, from whom he received this time a cloak made of silver, and again she led him to the ballroom. The flower queen's daughter was delighted to see him safe and sound, and when they were dancing together she whispered in his ear, "'If you succeed again to-morrow, wait for me with the foal in the meadow.' After the ball we will fly away together." On the third day the prince led the mare to the meadow again, but once more she vanished before his eyes. Then the prince took out his little bell and rang it three times. In a moment the king of the fishes appeared and said to him, "'I know quite well what you want me to do, and I will summon all the fishes of the sea together, and tell them to bring you back the mare.' who is hiding herself in a river. Towards evening the mare was returned to him, and when he led her home to the mother dragon, she said to him, "'You are a brave youth, and I will make you my body-servant. But what shall I give you as a reward to begin with?' 
The prince begged for a foal of the mare, which the mother dragon at once gave him, and over and above a cloak made of gold, for she had fallen in love with him because he had praised her beauty. So in the evening he appeared at the ball in his golden cloak, but before the entertainment was over he slipped away and went straight to the stables, where he mounted his foal and rode out into the meadow to wait for the flower queen's daughter. Towards midnight the beautiful girl appeared, and placing her in front of him on his horse, the prince and she flew like the wind till they reached the flower queen's dwelling. But the dragons had noticed their flight, and woke their brother out of his year's sleep. He flew into a terrible rage when he heard what had happened, and determined to lay siege to the flower queen's palace. But the queen caused a forest of flowers as high as the sky to grow up round her dwelling, through which no one could force a way. When the flower queen heard that her daughter wanted to marry the prince, she said to him, I will give my consent to your marriage gladly, but my daughter can only stay with you in summer. In winter, when everything is dead and the ground covered with snow, she must come and live with me in my palace underground. The prince consented to this, and led his beautiful bride home, where the wedding was held with great pomp and magnificence. The young couple lived happily together till winter came, when the flower queen's daughter departed and went home to her mother. In summer she returned to her husband, and their life of joy and happiness began again, and lasted till the approach of winter, when the flower queen's daughter went back again to her mother. This coming and going continued all her life long, and in spite of it, they always lived happily together. End of chapter 29. Recording by Jennifer Hilo, Hawaii. <laughs> Lovely. It's a nice story. Yeah, she was a nice pretty dragons. Good. Yeah, this uh, Jennifer person in Hawaii is a pretty good reader too. She does voices and stuff, which is nice. Okay. Yeah. So I don't mind her. She. Yeah. Uh, I listened to a, uh, the beginning of uh, another one that she read. She she also did the glass axe that we have. Um, but um, if you listen, uh, she's doing it, reading these from Hawaii, and she's doing it outside, and you can hear birds singing, which is exciting. It's more evident on the next one. Yeah. Excellent. But no, that was a nice. So you want to do the glass axe next, or? Um, no, I think we should take a break from the LibriVox ones and uh, do a a let's pretend. Um, and uh, I want to do a quick Oz story. A quick Oz story. You want to do one one of those first? Yeah. Did you want to talk about this one? The uh, that was that was a nice little kind of uh, adventure quest kind of um, fairy tale, you know, where, where they talk about the different kings and, you know, the animal kings and stuff like that, the fox yeah, king, the yeah, fish king, the, the eagle king. king. So Yeah, sorry I kept posting Pokemon in the in the gifts, but, you yeah, know. Yeah, what's up with that? Well, every kind of animal has a Pokemon animal, so. <laughs> Did you see the picture? There's a what- lot of them. When they were talking about the ball, uh, going to the ball, I found a gif of a, a of a yeah, that's adorable. That tux cat that looks like Tennessee playing with a giant infla- inflatable ball. So yeah, I did like it. Uh, Usually, yeah, most know, cats most cats freak out over big toys. Tennessee's kind of okay with big toys, but I've never given them a ball like that. So. It doesn't matter. I I'm I'm gonna bet he he'd be totally into it. He's just like, well, yeah, that's great. Everything's great. 
Yeah. You know, because he's just got the confidence. Yeah. And, um, you know, people that are your friends online that, uh, that, um, you know, other than Radio for Humans have said, Tux- uh, Tennessee needs his own channel. And I was thinking about it last night. I really do want to make his own channel and capture his youth because he's just so damn cute. And he used to, like, if you'd made any kind of tapping noise, bang, he was there to play. And now he's yeah. like, kind of like, hmm, maybe I won't play. So to it's capture not too hard that. to get him to play. Yeah, so. he's only two years old. And. Yeah. Like the other cats are just like, yeah, I'm going to sleep. You know, they don't, they're, they're like 10 and eight, you know, and well, they just. Doc and Timby are, are 12 and 13, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. I was just so, generalizing. Yeah. But yeah, they will, you know, their exact ages, <laughs> but they will play eventually if you um, entice them long enough. But he's just like, yeah, I'll play. Yeah, I'll play. Yeah, I'll play. Cause he's two, you know, yeah. he's just a baby. So, oh, I, I'd like adorable. to share my, my good news with our listeners tonight. I, I got my first Moderna shot uh, yesterday. That's right. Been Moderned. This is, he's been Moderned. I've been Pfizered. I'm fully Pfizered. And on the 20th, I'll be fully. It'll be long enough from the my second vaccination that I'll be fully vaccinated. Mm-hmm. They told me. But I'm Pfizered, and you're getting Moderna, so this is great. Yeah, and uh, I, I did have a few side effects. I was very sleepy, and I got a little nauseous. I was trying to eat something after the shot, and it wasn't agreeing with me. Um, yeah. But I took an hour nap, and it pretty much went away. I, I'm a little tired today, but I made us a big lunch. So. <laughs> um, yeah, and you said you, your arm hurt a little bit. Yeah, I've got a lot. Of, I've got a lot of arm soreness at the you know injection. Site. It's worth it. It's worth it. It's yeah. better than dying. You know what I mean? Oh, hell yeah. So, um, yeah. all right. So you uh, want to go ahead and uh, fire up. Let's um, do a quick Oz. Uh, I was looking in the Wikipedia, and um, I saw that L. Frank Baum, everybody knows what the Wizard of Oz is because he's got that, that movie, the movie where they sing over the rainbow. But the truth is he had 17 novels. Yeah. Written between 1900 and uh, was the last one. I mean, two were published posthuman, hum, posthumously. 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 Thank you. Um, in 1919. So, and, and one was 1920. Yeah. So, last year, his last novel was 100 years old. Yeah. But, and- yeah. Seventeen it, is a lot of novel. It is, and uh, you know? and also another thing to, uh, about him is when he was still alive at the turn of the century, he was actually trying to do multimedia um, events uh, for the characters in Oz. He was he was all about this. I, I forget what they were called, but they were he called them. They were. Something radio. I don't know why they put radio in it, but I think radio meant something a little different uh, than actually being mm-hmm. a radio broadcast. But he was doing these uh, little plays, and you know they, they had um, like interactive stuff with it and everything. It was, it was crazy. It's like he was almost trying to make like a little traveling theme park for Oz and put on performances yeah. and everything. And yeah. um, and, and unfortunately, there are sur- surviving uh, scripts. But there are no known recordings of 
any of these, uh, any of the things that they did. But they would do, you know, songs and act out scenes from the books and things like that. And it had a lot of, lot of characters that, you know, were in uh, several of the books, not just, you know, not just the ones yeah. that everybody knows that, that ended up in um, the, uh, you know, the, you know, we're off to see the wizard one. Um, mm-hmm. So the, I don't know why I can't remember the actress's name who played D- Judy Garland. Yeah, Judy so, Garland, you know, so, Liza's mom. Yeah. Liza's mom. So, uh, all right. Uh, so, uh, The Marvelous Land of Oz, this is uh, Chapter 3, Flight of the Fugitives. How exciting is that? Thank you. Thank you, Ken. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 3 The Flight of the Fugitives Tip reflected. It's a hard thing to be a marble statue, he thought rebelliously, and I'm not going to stand it. For years I've been a bother to her, she says, so she's going to be rid of me. Well, there's an easier way than becoming a statue. No boy could have any fun forever standing in the middle of a flower garden. I'll run away. That's what I'll do. And I may as well go before she makes me drink that nasty stuff in the kettle. He waited until the snores of the old witch announced that she was fast asleep. And then he arose softly and went to the cupboard to find something to eat. No use starting the journey without food, he decided, searching upon the narrow shelves. He found some crusts of bread, but he had to look into Mombi's basket to find the cheese she had brought from the village. While turning over the contents of the basket, he came upon the pepper box, which contained the powder of life. I may as well take this with me, he thought, or Mombi will use it to make more mischief with. So he put the box in his pocket, together with the bread and cheese. Then he cautiously left the house and latched the door behind him. Outside, both moon and stars shone brightly, and the night seemed peaceful and inviting after the close and ill-smelling kitchen. "'I'm glad to get away,' said Tip softly, "'for I never did like that old woman. I wonder how I ever came to live with her.' He was walking slowly toward the road when a thought made him pause. "'I don't like to leave Jack Pumpkinhead to the tender mercies of old Mombi,' he muttered. "'And Jack belongs to me.' for I made him, even if the old witch did bring him to life. He traced his steps to the cow stable, and opened the door of the stall where the pumpkin-headed man had been left. Jack was standing in the middle of the stall, and by the moonlight Tip could see him smiling just as jovially as ever. "'Come on!' the boy beckoned. "'Where to?' asked Jack. "'You'll know as soon as I do,' answered Tip, smiling sympathetically into the pumpkin face. All we've got to do now is to tramp. Very well, returned Jack, and walked awkwardly out of the stable and into the moonlight. Tip turned toward the road, and the man followed. Jack walked with a sort of limp, and occasionally one of the joints of his legs would turn backward instead of frontwise, almost causing him to tumble. But the pumpkin head was quick to notice this, and began to take more pains to step carefully so that he met with few accidents. Tip led him along the path without stopping an instant. 
They could not go very fast, but they walked steadily, and by the time the moon sank away and the sun peeped over the hills, they had traveled so great a distance that the boy had no reason to fear pursuit from the old witch. Moreover, he had turned first into one path and then into another, so that should anyone follow them, it would prove very difficult to guess which way they had gone, or where to seek them. Fairly satisfied that he escaped for a time at least being turned into a marble statue, the boy stopped his companion and seated himself upon a rock by the roadside. "'Let's have some breakfast,' he said. Jack Pumpkinhead watched Tip curiously, but refused to join in the repast. "'I don't seem to be made the same way you are,' he said. "'I know you're not,' returned Tip, "'for I made you.' "'Oh, you did?' asked Jack. "'Certainly, and put you together, and carved your eyes and nose and ears and mouth.' said Tip proudly, and dressed you. Jack looked at his body and limbs critically. It strikes me you made a very good job of it, he remarked. Just so-so, replied Tip modestly, for he began to see certain defects in the construction of his man. If I'd known we were going to travel together, I might have been a little more particular. Why, then, said the pumpkin head in a tone that expressed surprise, you must be my creator, my parent, my father. Oh, your inventor, replied the boy with a laugh. Yes, my son, I really believe I am. Then I owe you obedience, continued the man, and you owe me support. That's it exactly, declared Tip, jumping up. So let us be off. Where are we going? asked Jack, when they had resumed their journey. I'm not exactly sure, said the boy. But I believe we are headed south, and that will bring us sooner or later to the Emerald City. What city is that? inquired the pumpkin head. Why, it's the center of the land of Oz, and the biggest town in all the country. I've never been there myself, but I've heard all about its history. It was built by a mighty and wonderful wizard named Oz, and everything there is of a green color just as everything in this country of the Gillikins is of a purple color. Is everything here purple? asked Jack. Of course it is, can't you see? returned the boy. I believe I must be color-blind, said the pumpkin head, after staring about him. Well, the grass is purple, and the trees are purple, and the houses and the fences are purple, exclaimed Tip. Even the mud in the roads is purple, but in the Emerald City, everything is green that is purple here. And in the country of the Munchkins, over at the east, everything is blue. And in the south country of the Quadlings, everything is red. And in the west country of the Winkies, where the Tin Woodman rules, everything is yellow. Oh, said Jack. Then after a pause he asked, Did you say a Tin Woodman rules the Winkies? Yes, he was one of those who helped Dorothy to destroy the wicked witch of the West, and the Winkies were so grateful that they invited him to become their ruler, just as the people of the Emerald City invited the Scarecrow to rule them. Dear me, said Jack, I'm getting confused with all this history. Who is the Scarecrow? Another friend of Dorothy's, replied Tip. And who is Dorothy? She was a girl who came here from Kansas, a place in the big outside world. She got blown to the land of Oz by a cyclone, and while she was here, the Scarecrow and the Tin Woodman accompanied her on her travels. And where is she now? inquired the Pumpkinhead. Glinda the Good, 
who rules the Quadlings sent her home again, said the boy. Oh, and what became of the Scarecrow? I told you. He rules the Emerald City, answered Tip. I thought you said it was ruled by a wonderful wizard, objected Jack, seeming more and more confused. Well, so I did. Now, pay attention, and I'll explain it, said Tip, speaking slowly and looking the smiling pumpkin head squarely in the eye. Dorothy went to the Emerald City to ask the wizard to send her back to Kansas, and the scarecrow and the tin woodman went with her. But the wizard couldn't send her back, because he wasn't so much of a wizard as he might have been. And then they got angry at the wizard and threatened to expose him. So the wizard made a big balloon and escaped in it, and no one has ever seen him since. Now that is very interesting history, said Jack, well pleased. And I understand it perfectly all but the explanation. I'm glad you do, responded Tip. After the wizard was gone, the people of the Emerald City made His Majesty the Scarecrow their king. And I have heard that he became a very popular ruler. Are we going to see this queer king? asked Jack with interest. I think we may as well, replied the boy, unless you have something better to do. Oh, no, dear father, said the pumpkin head. I am quite willing to go wherever you please. End chapter 3、A、Nice、yep. exposition there. Yeah, I was trying to、uh, give you some background on the. Usually in the, every book,、mm -hmm. there's the map.、Yes. And the map actually helps you to figure out where you are in the adventures and. What country in Oz and, and the neighboring countries and、mm. all that. And that's something、so、Tol I, Tolkien、uh, took probably inspiration from those、uh, for the、uh, Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, when did he write those? In the 30s? So no, definitely. No, I think that was in the 40s or 50s? 40s or oh, 50s. is it that late? Yeah, <laughs> it's much later. It's, you know. That makes sense, yeah.、Um, that makes sense. I, I I never read them, but、uh, I, I know that he. It's relatively recent American literature. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, this was well established because he wrote all his books before、uh, he died in、uh, 1920. So. Yeah. So.、Uh, was, or maybe he died before then. I think he was sick、yeah. during the war, of the First World War.、Mm -hmm. And I think he was as a as a. Nineteen fifty four. He's kind of he kind of is a socialist, Frank L. Frank Baum, and、yeah. he he really, I think the the war, he was just upset, you know, like like we are, but like you know, I think he was just upset that the world would come to this. Yeah. You know. But, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. The tol for, to first Tolkien book was nineteen、uh, published nineteen fifty four. So yeah,、um, and Fox already says that was a little bit info dumpy. Let's re rehash the first book. Yeah, you know, but it's uh, and it's it, but that is basically the common tool of exposition that you know that's used to this day in you know modern、uh, fiction. You know, more more kind of pedestrian fiction with you know comic books and 
movie sequels and TV shows, you know, previously on, uh, you know. <laughs> previously on The Wizard of Oz. Um, there were some people. They took over. Yeah. The wizard left with Dorothy. I don't know. All kinds of things happened. Yeah, I think I read the Marvel DC Treasury Edition um, living the Wizard of Oz, um, but it's been a long time. Um, yeah. But I find these I find these stories really fa fun and fascinating. Um, we could do uh, we could do part two and then go to sure. the Green Green News report. Uh, well, I'm sorry, part four, which is. Uh, uh, Tip makes an experiment in magic. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's do the, well, yeah, let's do that. that that'll yeah. give us just enough time to get to the top of the hour and then uh, run the Green News Report for a halfway break and a couple promos. Okay. So we're going to fire that up. See what Tip's, Tip does when he dabbles in magic experimentation. Excellent, excellent. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information and to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Marvelous Land of Oz by L. Frank Baum Chapter 4. Tip Makes an Experiment in Magic The boy, small and rather delicate in appearance, seemed somewhat embarrassed at being called father by the tall, awkward, pumpkin-headed man. But to deny the relationship would involve another long and tedious explanation. So he changed the subject by asking abruptly, Are you tired? Of course not, replied the other. But, he continued after a pause, it is quite certain I shall wear out my wooden joints if I keep on walking. Tip reflected as they journeyed on that this was true. He began to regret that he had not constructed the wood limbs more carefully and substantially. Yet how could he ever have guessed that the man he had made merely to scare old Mombi with would be brought to life by means of a magical powder contained in an old pepper box? So he ceased to reproach himself and began to think how he might yet remedy the deficiencies of Jack's weak joints. While thus engaged, they came to the edge of a wood, and the boy sat down to rest upon an old sawhorse that some woodcutter had left there. "'Why don't you sit down?' he asked the pumpkin head. "'Won't it strain my joints?' inquired the other. "'Of course not. It'll rest them,' declared the boy. So Jack tried to sit down, but as soon as he bent his joints farther, than usual, they gave way altogether, and he came clattering to the ground, with such a crash that Tip feared he was entirely ruined. He rushed to the man, lifted him to his feet, straightened his arms and legs, and felt of his head to see if by chance it had become cracked. But Jack seemed to be in pretty good shape after all, and Tip said to him, I guess you better remain standing hereafter. It seems the safest way. Very well, dear father. Just as you say, replied the smiling Jack, who had been in no wise confused by his tumble. Tip sat down again. Presently the pumpkin head asked, What is that thing you are sitting on? Oh, this is a horse, replied the boy carelessly. What is a horse? demanded Jack. A horse? 
"'Why, there are two kinds of horses,' returned Tip, slightly puzzled how to explain. "'One kind of horse is alive, and has four legs, and a head, and a tail, and people ride upon its back.' "'I understand,' said Jack, cheerfully. "'That's the kind of horse you are now sitting on.' "'No, it isn't,' answered Tip promptly. "'Why not? That one has four legs, and a head, and a tail.' Tip looked at the sawhorse more carefully and saw that the pumpkin head was right. The body had been formed from a tree trunk, and a branch had been left sticking up at one end that looked very much like a tail. In the other end were two big knots that resembled eyes, and a place that had been chopped away that might easily be mistaken for the horse's mouth. As for the legs, they were four straight limbs cut from trees, and stuck fast into the body, being spread wide apart, so that the sawhorse would stand firmly when a log was laid across it to be sawed. "'This thing resembles a real horse more than I imagined,' said Tip, trying to explain. "'But a real horse is alive, and trots and prances, and eats oats.' while this is nothing more than a dead horse made of wood and used to saw logs upon. "'If it were alive, wouldn't it trot and prance and eat oats?' inquired the pumpkin head. "'It would trot and prance, perhaps, but it wouldn't eat oats,' replied the boy, laughing at the idea. "'And, of course, it can't ever be alive because it is made of wood.' "'So am I,' answered the man." Tip looked at him in surprise. "'Why, you are!' he exclaimed. "'And the magic powder that brought you to life is here in my pocket!' He brought out the pepper-box and eyed it curiously. "'I wonder,' he said musingly, "'if it would bring the sawhorse to life.' "'If it would,' returned Jack calmly, for nothing seemed to surprise him, "'I would ride on its back, and that would save my joints from wearing out.' "'I'll try it!' cried the boy, jumping up. But I wonder if I can remember the words old Mombi said, and the way she held her hands up. He thought it over for a minute, and as he had watched carefully from the hedge every motion of the old witch, and listened to her words, he believed he could repeat exactly what she had said and done. So he began by sprinkling some of the magic powder of life from the pepper-box upon the body of the sawhorse. Then he lifted his left hand with his little finger, it pointed upward, and said, "Ah, What does that mean, father? asked Jack curiously. I don't know, answered Tip. Then he lifted his right hand with the thumb pointed upward and said, Tah! What's that, dear father? inquired Jack. It means you must keep quiet, replied the boy, provoked at being interrupted at so important a moment. How fast I am learning! remarked the pumpkin head with his eternal smile. Tip now lifted both hands above his head, with all the fingers and thumbs spread out, and cried in a loud voice, Pa! Immediately the sawhorse moved, and stretched its legs, yawned with its chopped-out mouth, and shook a few grains of the powder off its back. The rest of the powder seemed to have vanished into the body of the horse. Good! called Jack while the boy looked on in astonishment. You're a very clever sorcerer, dear father. End chapter 4 
Good job, Fire Foxfire. I was just uh, trying to upload one too, and I uh, and I and I it stopped me from playing transition music. I found another cute yeah, one from yeah. an old one. So. Yeah, she found a good one. I just couldn't find anything that wouldn't um, post links. But yeah, I love that. He's so cute. He's a little. He's he's a a sawhorse that was brought to life. And when I was a kid, like I wanted my dad to take his sawhorses that he had in the garage and turn them into a sawhorse. And I thought he could do it. And he was like, "No, I'm not going to do that." I'm like, "Well, it'll still be functional. You just have to." Saw it down the front and 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 change it a little bit and put a <laughs> put a little horse head on it. That's no. I use that to make shelves and stuff, which he did. Well, we have those saw horses now, so um... yeah, we could do that. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh, yeah, so uh, but no, I found this one. I thought this one was really adorable. Uh, uh, there's another one. Oh, um, see, I love that picture. Yeah. I was trying to post that picture, and it wouldn't post for me. Yeah, I don't know why. It, it, I had to go to so the actual weird. website. To, I had to go to the actual website to download it. It was saying this this can't be downloaded securely. So, yeah, but so uh, these are illustrations yeah. that are over a hundred years. They're so great. I love the illustrator of these books. Yeah. Um, I forget the name of them. It's over there. Another, written down. I know, just love them pictures another uh you know a uh, big influence on pop culture and, and comic book <clears throat> illustration you know the artists from, mm -hmm. from these books you know i mean there, there's a lot of techniques just in these small little pictures alone that you you know are used to this day by modern illustrators mm -hmm. so um but no that so. I, I i i have never heard of this character i i was confused at first because i was thinking well okay he's making another golem um, yeah, I, I was reminded of uh, what was the creature's name that was in the movie Return to Oz. I don't know uh, what book it was from, but the the bed with the moose head and and all that. Yeah, that, that, I think uh, that's the Gump. Okay, the Gump. Um, it, it's also referred to in the Magicians as the Flying Couch. Okay. Um, but they basically need to escape, and they they make a couch. They bring it to life with the powder of life. Yeah. Which is a little cruel, but gosh, that thing's adorable too. It's made out of palm fronds and peacock feathers yeah. and a velvet couch and a moose head. It's great. Yeah. I love but no, that th stuff. this was uh, you know, they they're making a lot of magical golems in in Oz and uh yeah. and I I approve of that. So yeah. um shall we uh make with the break? Let's make with the break. Right, very good. So we're gonna go ahead and um, we've got a couple promos and the Green News Report coming up. We'll be right back.
It's Thursday, April 15, 2021. The annual threat assessment describes an array of threats we are facing in the coming year. U.S. global threat assessment warns climate change is a clear and present danger. Japan insists the water is safe. Fukushima's radioactive water to be dumped into the ocean. Plus, to combat climate change, France moves to ban short flights. How does that combat climate change? Don't tell me. All of those stories and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Ecological degradation and a changing climate will continue to fuel disease outbreaks, threaten food and water security, exacerbate political instability, and humanitarian crises. Okay, yeah, but other than that, why is climate change a problem? This is your... Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you've got the global threat assessment, blah, blah, blah. I'm only interested in why banning short flights helps climate change. But I guess we'll get there at the very end. (laughs) Yes, we will. That's what I thought. In its latest global threat assessment report, the U.S. intelligence community cautions that man-made climate change remains a looming and growing global threat to U.S. interests at home and abroad. In the first hearing in two years on the annual global threat report, Director of National Intelligence Avril Haines warned the Senate Intelligence Committee this week that global warming risks further destabilizing a world shaken by the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic and will drive migration. Ecological degradation and a changing climate will continue to fuel disease outbreaks, threaten food and water security, exacerbate political instability and humanitarian crises. Warmer weather can generate direct, immediate impacts, for example, through more intense, frequent and variable extreme weather events, in addition to driving conflicts over scarce natural resources. And the changing climate conflict and economic deprivation will drive vulnerable populations from their homes, heightening humanitarian needs and increasing the risk of political upheaval. That sounds like a problem. In other news, despite coronavirus shutdowns around the world, levels of carbon dioxide and methane in the atmosphere rose in 2020. Methane racked up its highest year-over-year increase since records began in 1983. Mm. And that matters because methane traps much more heat in the atmosphere than carbon dioxide on shorter timescales. Part of the surge is attributed to the mass build-out of natural gas infrastructure worldwide. What's the other part? Um, the other part is from biological sources like wetlands and cattle. Cow farts. Yep. I knew it! Atmospheric CO2 levels have reached their highest point in 3.6 million years. The last time atmospheric CO2 levels were this high, sea level was 78 feet higher. Yeah, I remember that. The government of Japan this week announced that two years from now, it will intentionally discharge into the Pacific Ocean more than 300 million gallons of radioactively contaminated wastewater that has accumulated over the past decade since the meltdown of the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant because it is running out of room to store it. Japan says the treated water is within safe levels, but critics warn that radioactive isotopes in the water could potentially contaminate the marine food chain. And that is exactly how we got Godzilla. I'm just saying, what are you doing, Japan? China's foreign minister challenged Japan's deputy prime minister that if the treated radioactive water is safe, then, quote, 
Please drink it. Oh, God. Here in the U.S., President Biden's first budget has been sent to Congress, reflecting his spending priorities for fiscal year 2022, which include undoing much of the damage done by the Trump administration. Biden's budget seeks massive increases in funding for the Environmental Protection Agency and for clean energy innovation, research and deployment, electrifying the federal vehicle fleet, environmental justice initiatives and climate and weather science research. It's the undoing. More good news. The U.S. solar industry had a record year in 2020, despite the COVID-19 pandemic slowing down some projects. That's due mostly to solar's increasing cost competitiveness with fossil fuels. 2020 was the best year ever. Finally, France is moving to cut more emissions and clean up air pollution. The French National Assembly voted to ban airline flights within France, where there are alternatives that take less than two and a half hours, Mm. like the country's high-speed train system. So there'll be less flights, so there'll be less emissions from those flights. Exactly. But won't that mean people use more cars, which makes things worse? No, they'll take the high-speed train system. And it's offering car owners an incentive to trade in their aging, polluting clunkers with a $3,000 incentive to use toward the purchase of an electric bike. How much does an electric bike cost? About $3,000. Good deal. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planet-wide, even in France, on the Facebooks and the Twitters, at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride my bike. I want to ride my bicycle. I want to ride it where I like. You say black. I say white. You say bar. I say bite. You say shark. I say him. Hello. How are we doing there? Quick uh, green news report. Good times. Sorry about that. I didn't have as much time oh, as, I, okay. uh, as I thought I did on the break there. So um, I heard the music before I started sure. talking, so I don't think it was that bad. Okay. Well, uh, do, do, shall, why don't I, uh, we'll mute and I'll run a couple promos real quick, okay? Sounds good to me. All right. Wow, this is the most beautiful enchanted forest. (laughs) Well, hello, fair lass. I am a unicorn. Do you like our enchanted forest? Oh, gosh, yes. It's so beautiful and enchanted. (laughs) Thank you, lass. We like it too, yes. If you want to help keep it enchanting, you could help with the upkeep. A few dollars towards fairy lights for fairy nights on Radio for Human helps the fairy grow. Well, I can do that. How do I do it, though, gentle unicorn? Oh, sweet lass, you just go to patreon.com slash fairy lights and give what you can. A little bit of magic makes a fairy smile. I'm on my way, unicorn. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) 
Hey there. Yes, you. Do I have a product for you, losers? I bet you're nice and hungry right now. Perhaps thinking of a burger. Don't eat that. It might improve your overall well-being. From the brand owners of non-edible crackers and acidic Gatorade, try Beast's Peanut Butter Cups. Do you want twice the stomach ache for half the price? Try Beast's. Made with sewer-quality chocolate, filled to the brim with the most crunchy yet succulent beans. Beast's Peanut Butter Cups. Make sure you have a chair nearby, because you're about to lose control of the entire left side of your body. Legal rights non-applicable. Pieces, the official sponsor of Fairy Lights for Fairy Nights, airing Tuesday and Thursday nights from 7 to 9 on RadioForHumans.com. Hi, this is Jody Hamilton of the From the Bunker podcast, and you are listening to Radio for Humans, because seriously, do spiders have radio? Yes, yes, yes. Radio for humans. Are we done with promos? Can I talk? Yeah, this is just music. Yay! Uh, yeah, so Radio for Humans, you know, moved around and we're not too political. I mean, it's political. Everything's political. I believe the personal is the political. But I believe that the personal can be fun. Sure. So I've been working hard for the last year in this uh, pandemic, trying to make my world the world I enjoy, world where I live, a lovely place, a fairyland. Yeah. Where and I'm queen. Uh, I'm Fo queen and you're king. And Foxfire is just about ready to do the kiddo art drop for our oh, show no. for tonight. How great. Yay. Kiddo, kiddo apparently is traveling through history now. Which is awesome. So um, Now, Kiddo is our three-headed monster that can be seen. Um, I'm hoping that you in the Radio for Humans chat room can also hear us talking. But um, Kiddo has, is our three-headed sea monster that sometimes does stuff. He eats chocolate bunnies, he eats carrots, he goes to the grocery store, he rides he a bike sometimes. He what swallows, else has he, he done? He, he, well, he swallows, he's got a submarine. He swallows things whole. Um, yeah. And they he, go he down his neck. Things. They go down his throat crooked. Yeah, it's so, adorable. Um, uh, he does things. Yeah. Um, if you wouldn't mind, uh, I have a quick, uh, uh, I just want to mm -hmm. uh, plug... Um, it came from Cleveland. Uh, oh, there's Kiddo the artwork. Here. Yeah. Here's the artwork. Kiddo, Kiddo in history. World War II, World II history. Oh, <laughs> Kilroy was here, and Kiddo was here. So, uh -huh. uh, very good. Uh, love that, uh, Foxfire. But yeah, it came from Cleveland tomorrow. Uh, we've got a big show. Uh, we're going to be talking. Uh, I found some really great archival interview clips with Elizabeth Montgomery, because her birthday uh, falls in the, the uh, realm of our show uh, the, uh, 16th of April and also, uh, a couple other, uh, Charlie Chaplin, of course, is somebody we're going to be talking yeah, about. Yeah, if, yeah, yeah. If anybody hasn't caught on to the, how we do things on the show, 
we're very date oriented with uh, the things we discuss. And uh, so, you know, we, we talk about a lot of celebrity birthdays. And um, tomorrow, uh, Peter Ustinov and uh, Guitar Virtuoso. You might just think he was a hillbilly guy on Hee Haw. But, uh, <laughs> but Roy Clark was a guitar virtuoso. And, um, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, going to be a lot of fun and um but yeah so this is a you know and, and we're going to be talking about um uh miles has a bunch of science stories he's going to be talking about um i'm going to do a thing called uh spinning out of control which is uh oh. about uh spinoff failed spinoffs from other tv series that <laughs> were, were used as kind of filler episodes or like a backdoor pilot kind of thing uh, so lots of fun stuff, and of course we're going to be reviewing um, the Twilight Zone episode that uh, aired 61 years ago um, to the date, um, and uh, in this one is going to be um, a nice place to visit. So uh, not yeah, one of the more exciting ones, but uh, featuring Sebastian Cabot, and I've got all kinds of crazy trivia for everybody, and um, and Michelle's got some movie trailers picked out. The robots are back to answer Caitlin Chris's question whether or not they're going to yeah, be vaccinated. Yeah, the robots are back. And we've got an all-new music block from Kill the Hippies, uh, uh, of course, uh, curated by Mort Treehorn himself. So, uh, but yeah, uh, but I guess we should probably get into it. We're, we're, uh, uh, we definitely have... Um, uh, I think we have enough time to play... Um, the Let's Pretend episode and probably the Glass X. So, <laughs> shall we get Excellent. into the Magic Cuckoo from uh, Let's Pretend? Yeah, I'm excited because I, you know, um, I've never heard this story. <coughs> Excuse Ooh. me, I've never heard this story, but I love cuckoo clocks. I love their their German tradition, and and uh, I had a cuckoo clock growing up in my in our living room, and uh, love it. Let's All let's right. see. All right. What happens? Here comes. Let's pretend the magic cuckoo. Let's pretend and the magic cuckoo. Ready? Yeah. Well, 
Once upon a time in a far-off country in the days when magic still popped up now and then, there were two brothers, Hector and Garth. They had a little shoemaking shop which their father had left them, but through no fault of their own business grew worse and worse. Now, on a cold day in autumn, they sit before a cold fireplace, very discouraged. Oh, yes, I'll admit it, Hector. Things do look pretty dismal. Well, when you admit it, Garth, it's plain they're about as bad as they can be. <laughs> now, wait, brother, I didn't mean that. They are. And you know it, Garth. We haven't a scrap of leather in the shop. We can't make new shoes. We can't repair old ones. And we haven't one penny to buy leather. Not a penny to buy anything. Leather, supplies, even food. Oh, I know, Hector, but still... Looks to me as if we're just going to sit here and starve or freeze to death. Oh, something will turn up. Besides, we have a loaf of bread and some tea left in the box. We certainly aren't going to freeze while we still have that great log from the old oak tree. Maybe we ought to put the log on now and cheer ourselves with the warmth. Oh, oh, yes, sir. Oh, no. Listen, that's Farmer Bleak. We forgot those shoes of his that we fixed. <laughs> fixed, if you can call it that. Good day to you, Farmer Bleak. Uh, I don't know what's good about it. You got those shoes of mine ready? Mm, yes, sir, indeed we have, Mr. Bleak. They're all ready and waiting. Yes, uh, here you are, Mr. Bleak. Uh, uh, what in tarnation is this? Please don't get upset, Mr. Bleak. Upset? One shoe half sold and only a patch on the other? What's the meaning of this? Is this the way to fix a pair of shoes? Mr. Bleak, we hope that when we explained... You see, we just didn't have any more leather. So we thought if we fixed the shoes as best we could, temporarily, well, then with the money you paid us, we could buy more leather and fix them properly, for no charge at all. With the money I pay you. You think I'll pay good money for this sort of job? Well, we don't ask much, Mr. Bleak. Just a few pennies. A few pennies, eh? Huh? I wouldn't give you a thank you for this kind of work. Shoemakers! Huh? Well, I told you it wouldn't work, Garth. Huh? Well, we had a try. Get up now, mule! Confound you, Jim! Yeah. There goes our last hope of money. Yes. Last I see at the moment, anyway. Money, Garth. It's the most important thing in the world, that's all. Without it, you might as well be dead. Oh, come now, Hector. Money is not that important. I'd rather have health or, or peace of mind any day. Yeah. Can you eat health? Good afternoon, Hector. Hello, Garth. Fairly. <laughs> it's good to see a smiling face. Yes, it's good to know somebody has something to smile about. Dear me, you sound depressed. It's a good thing I decided to bring over some of the cookies Mother just baked. Fresh cookies. Say, we can brew some tea to have with them. The last of the tea. All right. Why not? My goodness, it's cold in here. Haven't you any more wood for the fireplace? We have indeed. The last big log from the old oak. Come on, Hector. Let's bring it in and have ourselves a roaring fire. Oh, all right. You'll be surprised how it cheers you up, Hector. The only thing that would cheer me is money. Uh, here we are. Uh, grab that end, Hector. Right. Now, uh, let's put it down here. Uh, fine. I'll pull off these old branches now. What, what on earth? Cuckoo. Cuckoo. And how do you do? And how's the world using you? Good heavens above. A, a bird. And he talks. He just appeared out of nowhere. And there he sits on the log. Who are you, little bird, and how is it that you can talk? Allow me to introduce myself. I'm a bird most unusual. Truly, I am. A cuckoo. Yes, cuckoo. I'm cuckoo. I fly around the world doing good where I can. A cuckoo. Indeed, yes. I'm cuckoo. I can bring you a gift, whatever you ask, be it health, fame, or wealth. 
For me, it's no task. Don't be bashful or shy. Speak up, all of you. Tell Cuckoo, sweet Cuckoo. <laughs> I'm Cuckoo. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. You really, Grant Wishes? Uh, what do you charge? Wonderful? Yes. Grant Wishes? Of course. What do I charge? <laughs> Foolish man. I ask nothing but a place by your fire throughout the long winter. That's all you want? Well, it's a bargain. A bargain indeed. I should think so. Very well. Now, what will you have? A pretty maiden. You first. What will you wish? Me first? Oh, dear. I... I can't think. To be beautiful. Rich. Oh, no. No, you ask them first. Very well. I would not have you waste your wish. You are beautiful already. Oh, no, not the way I mean. Elder brother, your wish, then. What do you want most in the world? What do I want? Well, that's easy. Money, money, and then more money. So I need never want again. Oh, money. The easiest wish of all. Cuckoo. Cuckoo. And look. Look down the table. Piles and piles of gold. Sally. Scott, look. Oh, it's wonderful. They are believing. Hector, you lucky man. Now for you, younger brother. What will you have? Would you have gold, too? Or fame? Or what? Fame? Why should I want that? Gold? Well, only a moment ago, I was telling Hector, well, it's not nearly so important as other things. Peace of mind, contentment. So that's what I want, little bird. A happy, peaceful mind and a heart to enjoy what I have and share it with others. Wise man. Your wish will be granted. Why, all of a sudden I'm wearing a new vest. But such a curious vest. Oh, Cuckoo, I've decided. I know what I want. I do want to be beautiful. Beautiful as a princess or a great lady. So you've decided. Well, Cuckoo. Why, fairly. Oh, long golden curls. Oh, but I have to have a mirror now. A mirror. Where's the mirror? Everyone happy now? Then I'll take my place on the hearth. In the morning, call me. And what shall we call you? Call Cuckoo. It's Cuckoo. Sweet Cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fairly? Sally, will you stop looking into that mirror for a minute and listen to me? You're the most beautiful wife a man could wish, and I'm as lucky as a man can be. A lovely wife, plus all the gold the cuckoo left. That's why I want us to go to the city now, where we can really get some good out of our money. Hector, you want us to go to the city to live? Well, wouldn't you like to live in a fine house instead of this poor cottage? Ride in a fine carriage? Go to parties with the nobility? My goodness, could we do all that? With my money, I should think so. So, you agree? We go? But what about Darth? Will he want to? Well, we can ask him, but I don't know. Anyway, who cares? I'm the one you married, not Garth. Yes, of course, but if we leave, what will happen to the shop? Can Garth manage alone? Of course, why not? Listen fairly. Wouldn't you like the kind of clothes that would... Match your beauty now, silk and satin, brocade and velvet. Think of yourself standing in a great ballroom. Lords and ladies curtsying and bowing before you. It would be wonderful, all right. Well, I've got some fine leather from the tannery. Shall we get to work on some new shoes, Hector? No, not I, Garth. I'm through with shoemaking. 
Early and I are going to the city. What? You can come along too, Garth. Please do. Oh, we can really be happy there. But I'm happy here. I, I thought you were too. Not anymore, Garth. If you want to stay here, do. But Fairley and I are going at once. So make up your mind, brother. And quickly. Hmm. I thought fishing would be good today. Is that a bite? Oh, no. <laughs> Today just isn't my day, I guess. Well, who's that richly dressed man? Good day to you, stranger. Who speaks? Who's here? Why, my name's Garth, stranger. What's yours? What's mine? Do you not see who I am, man? Hmm, I see you're a man, yes, of course, but what's your name? I am the king of this realm. The... For heaven's sake. But what is the king doing out here in the rough woods? Oh, I stood all the quarreling I could. I told him to stop the carriage and let me out so I could have at least a moment of quiet. But I know Vidalia. She'll have the carriage back here in no time. Vidalia? You mean the queen? Yes, I mean the... Just a minute now. You speak with a good deal of impertinence, fellow, and kindly address me as your royal highness. <laughs> you really like such a long handle to your name. Long handle? But see here, if you're the king, why do you look so unhappy? I thought kings were happy fellows. Happy? <laughs> What should I be happy about? Give me one reason for smiling. Well, it's a fine day. That's one reason. And for another, these are pleasant woods. You've just met a friendly stranger. Why not smile? Well, why not indeed? How curious. How very, very curious. Uh -huh. A smile is beginning to grow on your face already. Well, that's right. Let it spread. But, but why should this be? Well, until I started speaking with you, I was as unhappy as I've ever been. Now, for some strange reason, I'm... Why, I'm actually happy. <laughs> Want to know the strange reason? You can tell me. Sure. You see, it's this way. Last fall, a wonderful bird gave me this vest I wear. A vest all lined with soft green leaves. Well, I'd ask for the gift of contentment and peace of mind. Well, sir, that cuckoo gave it to me. Uh, the man was cuckoo? No, indeed. The bird was cuckoo. Uh, I don't understand. Well, I, I don't really understand myself. You can't understand magic. But these are the facts. This cuckoo gave me this vest, lined with green leaves. And ever since I put it on, well, I've known as great a contentment as anyone could imagine. Well, it would take more than green leaves to make me feel contented. I wonder. What's so wrong in your life? What's so wrong? Well, why I should be telling you, I can't imagine. But everything is wrong. The courtiers squabble all day long. The servants want more pay. A scoundrel wants to marry my daughter. The queen wants more jewels. The royal treasury is almost empty. Oh, my, my, my. And I'd always thought royalty had such a good life. No one has a worse one. Well, everybody has trouble of one kind or another. You have yours. I have mine. You? Of course. You see, my brother asked the cuckoo for gold. And as soon as he got it, he and Fairley got married and went off to the city. Oh. Now I'm all alone in the shoemaking shop and... Well, business still isn't good. Too bad. But I'm healthy and spring is here. It'll all work out somehow. For the best, too, I'll wager. God, uh, that is what you said your name was. Yes. Uh, will you do me a very great favor? Why, of course, uh, if I'm able. I need more of your wisdom, your... Whatever it is. Come with me to the palace for a while. The all right now, husband. Are you ready to act? Civilized and get back in the carriage. It's the queen. Uh, all right, Vidalia, just a moment. Will you come, God? Invited by the king himself to visit the palace? Well, 
Well, thank you, sir. I'd be happy to pay you a visit. Will you hurry? Thank you, Garth. Uh, yes, yes, we're coming. Uh, this way, Garth. Well, who in the world have you with you? My dear, a new friend I found down by the brook. His name is Garth. Hmm. Garth, Her Majesty Queen Vidalia. Happy to know you. For heaven's sake. And he shakes my hand instead of kissing it. Why should I kiss your hand? I just want to be your friend. Just want to be my... But how strange. I like that. Of course. Friendliness is a fine feeling. Yes, yes, of course. But that's curious. I wanted new rings. I said I had to have more rings. But somehow that warm, friendly grasp makes my hand feel better than all the rings in the world. Husband, I, uh... I don't want any more jewels. God, did I ask you to come to the castle for a little while? I meant for the rest of your life. Oh, now, wait a moment. No, no arguments. Driver, to the castle! And now, before we go on with the second act of the Magic Cuckoo, here's Warren Sweeney with a reminder for you. Yes, pretenders, to be serious for just a moment. It's a reminder of how you and your family can do something that will help bring happiness in the place of sadness. It's very sad that there are many boys and girls who are unable to run and play because they're crippled. But the money that's received from the sale of Easter seals goes to help cure those boys and girls so they can walk again. Remind your parents to be sure to buy Easter seals this year. But now, back to the second act of the Magic Cuckoo and Uncle Bill Adams. When the Magic Cuckoo granted their wishes for gold and beauty, Hector and Fairlie went off to the city where they planned to live in splendor. God, who had asked only for contentment, had no desire to go to the city, but after a chance meeting with the king... He suddenly finds himself not only in the city, but with a suite all his own in the castle. Now he's there, arguing a little with the valet the king assigned to him. Oh, please, sir, if you'll excuse me, you really must get rid of that vest you're wearing. <laughs> now, Peter, that's one thing we better get straight right away. This vest I wear is my most precious possession. Oh, sir, you must be joking. Why, it's a ragged-looking thing. And with all those green leaves sewed inside it, but it's not fit to wear anywhere near the king. Now you're living in the castle, you must dress as befits a friend of the king. I'll wear a richer shirt, richer trousers, if you insist, Peter. But I'll always wear this vest. Why, it's this ragged vest that gives me my peace of mind. Yes, yes, I've known many a gentleman get to fondness for some ragged article of clothing, but it just won't do so, really. Hey, you... Peter, let's forget the vest. Now tell me, have you had any luck at all in locating those people I asked you about? Oh, that uh, gentleman called Hector and his lady? Yes, that's right. They're sure to be somewhere in the city. Well, they came four or five months ago. Uh, yes, sir, I did find out that much. Uh, they bought a house, too, and a couple of carriages. Where's the house? Uh, tell me quickly, I'll go visit them at once. Uh, well, sir, I'm sorry, but it wouldn't be any use. The gentleman and his lady have already left. Left? For where? Well, that's something nobody knows, sir. They were here, true enough, for four or five months, but just a few days ago, they suddenly left. Uh, it uh, would look, sir, as though they'd spent all their money. But how could they have? The cuckoo gave Hector piles and piles of gold. The cuckoo, sir? Oh, never mind. What could have happened? Sir, will you please let me have that vest? I could get you such a fine one to replace it. Really? No, Peter. You must forget this vest. If I lose it, I lose everything. 
Now, would you please see if you can find out where Hector and his lady have gone? Very well, sir. I'll go at once. And I'll get that vest, too, sometime when you're sleeping. Hmm? What's that? No, nothing, sir. I I go to inquire about your friend. I'll let you know as soon as I discover anything. Yes, do that. I must know they're well and happy. They must be. They can't be in trouble. I just won't believe it. Well, you'll have to. We can't sleep in the forest. Oh, I could sleep standing up. I'm so weary. Oh, how foolish you were to sell all the horses. You act as though I did it by choice. I had to sell them. Or would you rather be in jail right now for non-payment of bills? Where did all the gold go? I thought there was an endless amount of it. Yes, yes. The way you bought clothes made that clear. It wasn't the clothes. It was those parties you gave. Why, you spent a fortune on each one. Was there any other way to get the nobles to come? They didn't come anyway, did they? Some success you made of life in the city, I must say. Oh, fairly be still. Help me look for a place where we'll be sheltered for the night. Good afternoon, noble lord and lady. Who? What? A little old lady, but... Where on earth did you come from, old lady? We, we didn't hear you at all. I don't wonder. The leaves of the forest make soft walking, especially against hard words. Oh, you... you heard us then. Oh, we were just having a little argument. Oh, yes. A little argument because you're tired and so cold. Oh, I... I'm so terribly tired. And hungry and thirsty. Well, how very fortunate we met. Look what I was even now taking to my cottage just beyond the glade. A flask of homemade mead. Now a drink of that will perk you up like magic. I never tasted mead. I have, and I would welcome a drink. I have one cup for the noble lady. Oh, and here's my gold-rimmed cup for me. Ah. Then here you are, my lady, and your cup, my lord. Thank you. Well, I was passing the castle. The valet came out, started to throw it away. 
He saw me and said he'd been going crazy trying to get it away from his master. Gave me a gold piece to carry it off. Well, the gold piece is fine anyway. But come on now, let's get that brocade coat off our noble lord here. Mm-hmm. I'll take my lady's ring. Mm-hmm. There. Oh, a little gold mirror. Oh, what's the matter? She's cold. Son, that no good vesta. Throw it around her shoulder so she won't wake him. Mm-hmm. We don't want it. All right. There. There she goes. All right. Now let's get out of here and hurry up. Right. Uh, sleep well, noble lord and lady. And uh, thanks for everything. Hey, cuckoo. You're a cuckoo. You're a cuckoo. Uh, what? Uh, what is that? It's cuckoo. You're a cuckoo. Oh, cuckoo. It's a cuckoo bird. Oh, Hector, oh, wake up. Oh, wake up. Hmm? Well, what's the matter? I was asleep, and I heard... What did I dream? I heard the cuckoo. Oh, whether you did or not, I'm glad I woke up. I'm freezing. That's funny. I I feel so warm. Hector, look. What is it? I have on a man's vest. A vest like Garth used to wear. Where did it come from? Oh, I don't know. Hector, where's your coat? What's happened? What? Why, it's gone. And the gold cup's gone, too. My ring. Oh, my mirror. That old woman who gave us the mead. She gave us a sleeping potion and robbed us. She's cuckoo. Listen. What now? I thought I heard the cuckoo again. Oh, Hector, darling. Let's go back home. Home? We can't. The creditors took everything. Oh, I don't mean that great barn of a place in the city. I mean, let's go back to the village. The shoe shop and, and Garth. The shoe shop? Yes. Oh, I don't know what's happened. Maybe it's just seeing this vest with a slight garth, or, or maybe just having it on. It, it makes me want to be happy and contented like he was when we left. <laughs> the old vest makes me homesick, too. Let's forget the city and find clothes and parties. Let's go back to Garth. But, Fairly, maybe... Maybe he wouldn't want us. Oh, yes, he would. And besides, the cuckoo is due back soon. That's right. We can wish for more money. Or something better. Oh, Hector, come on. Let's hurry. Well, Hector, all through with that pair of shoes? No, no, not quite, Garth. <laughs> you know, it just suddenly struck me again how curiously and wonderfully everything's worked out. All three of us returning to the shop at the same time. You'd been a guest of the king himself, Garth. But you left to look for us. And for my magic vest, which that valet finally got in spite of me. Yes, but imagine our winding up with it, thanks to those robbers. Yes, thanks to them. Really, they did all of us such a good turn, I I sort of find myself wondering now and then. Wondering what, Garth? Well, was it just a freak of fate that you should have met up with the very people who had my magic vest, or... Or what? Or could they have been sort of led to you? Led to us? By whom? Cuckoo! Cuckoo! The cuckoo! The very creature I had in mind. Oh, cuckoo, where are you? How do you do to one and all? Thought I'd drop around and call. Well, cuckoo! Oh, it's so wonderful to see you again, cuckoo. The nest on the hearth is waiting for you. And in return, would you have more leaves of peace and contentment, Garth? Oh, yes, cuckoo. Yes. And you, Hector? More gold? Oh, no. No, no, cuckoo. Bring us the magic leaves of contentment, too. And goodwill. Goodwill for all. Could you magic cuckoo? Indeed and indeed. With the greatest of pleasure. For I'm a bird most unusual. Truly, I am. A cuckoo. I'm cuckoo. Yes, cuckoo. I fly around the world doing good where I can. I'm cuckoo. Indeed, yes. I'm cuckoo. 
I can bring you a gift, whatever you ask. Be with help, fame or wealth. For me, it's no task. But contentment is best. You'll find out that is true. Not cuckoo. Not cuckoo. <laughs> Not cuckoo. Magic Cuckoo. The pretenders for today were Hector, Michael O'Dane, Garth, Robert Moran, Fairley, Farmer Bleak, Cameron Andrews, The King, Donald Madden, The Queen, Daisy Alden, The Valet, Jack Rhymes, The Magic Cuckoo, Arthur Anderson, The Old Woman, Gwen Davies, and her son, Jerry Rockwood. The original music was composed and conducted by Maurice Brown. Let's Pretend is directed by Gene Height and written for radio by Johanna Johnston. Let's Pretend comes to you from New York City. So remember, if you live nearby or come visiting, you can come and see a broadcast any Saturday. Write for free tickets to CBS Radio, New York City. Old pretenders, what's the happiest holiday in springtime? Easter, of course. It's a holiday when we celebrate love and hope and all the brand new growing things of a beautiful springtime world. So, especially for Easter, we're bringing you a story next week Filled with some of those happy things that symbolize Easter. Flowers, little animals, and birds. It's one of your all-time favorites. The story of Thumbelina. Be listening next week. We already did Thumbelina. Yeah. And Easter is, is past. I love Easter. I love this time of year, though. I love it. Yeah. I know you guys I might have been confused it. about the gif, uh, the, the, because the cuckoo was singing about going around the world, so I posted the uh, the gif from uh, the Daft Punk Around the World video. Oh, that's what that was. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Daft Punk fan, and I didn't even know that. <laughs> but I didn't have the volume on, so. Well, uh, no, there's no volume for it. It's a gif. It's just a. It's just an yeah. animated picture. Uh, it's but been that, a while. But that was that was fun. That was you know um, I hated that song because I'm a cuckoo. That was annoying. Well, here's the deal. Um, let's pretend hardly ever does songs, mm -hmm. and we in the whole time we've used let's pretend on fairy lights for fairy nights. This podcast. This is only the second and third song I've heard, and the other one was I'd rather be a fairy than a duck, which was stuck in Zelda's head for like. A month but um yeah it's surprising that they did a song yeah and i don't uh, know also voice artist trivia the, another episode of let's pretend with jack grimes from speed racer fame and ah, uh, lots nice. of other old-time radio shows nice. as i mentioned on tuesday mm -hmm. so um well uh we have uh exactly um uh, 13 minutes left, but the, uh, Yellow Fairy, the Glass Axe is 18 minutes. I'm curious about the Glass act, Axe. I or, have a Glass Axe from my grandmother. Okay. Let's or, do it. Just do or, it. Just get it. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Here comes, uh, the, the Glass Axe from, uh, this is Grimm, right? Or no, no, this is, this is Anderson. Lang. So, from the Yellow Fairy book. Chapter 23 of The Yellow Fairy Book. This is a LibriVox recording. 
All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jennifer. The Yellow Fairy Book, edited by Andrew Lang. Chapter 23, The Glass Axe. From the Hungarian Kletke. There was once upon a time a king and a queen who had everything they could possibly wish for in this world except a child. At last, after twelve years, the queen gave birth to a son, but she did not live long to enjoy her happiness, for on the following day she died. But before her death she called her husband to her and said, Never let the child put his feet on the ground, for as soon as he does so he will fall into the power of a wicked fairy who will do him much harm. And these were the last words the poor queen spoke. The boy throve and grew big, and when he was too heavy for his nurse to carry, a chair was made for him on little wheels in which he could wander through the palace gardens without help. At other times he was carried about on a litter, and he was always carefully watched and guarded for fear he should at any time put his feet on the ground. But as this sort of life was bad for his health, the doctors ordered him horse exercise, and he soon became a first-rate rider, and used to go out for long excursions on horseback, accompanied always by his father's stud groom and a numerous retinue. Every day he rode through the neighboring fields and woods, and always returned home in the evening safe and well. In this way many years passed, and the prince grew to manhood, and hardly anyone remembered the queen's warning, though precautions were still taken, more from use and want than for any other reason. One day the prince and his suite went out for a ride in a wood where his father sometimes held a hunt. Their way led through a stream whose banks were overgrown with thick brushwood. Just as the horsemen were about to ford the river, a hare, startled by the sound of the horse's hoofs, started up from the grass and ran towards the thicket. The young prince pursued the little creature and had almost overtaken it when the girth of the saddle suddenly broke in two and he fell heavily to the ground. No sooner had his foot touched the earth then he disappeared before the eyes of the horrified courtiers. They sought for him far and near, but all in vain, and they were forced to recognize the power of the evil fairy against which the queen had warned them on her deathbed. The old king was much grieved when they brought him the news of his son's disappearance, but as he could do nothing to free him from his fate, he gave himself up to an old age of grief and loneliness cherishing at the same time the hope that some lucky chance might one day deliver the youth out of the hands of his enemy. Hardly had the prince touched the ground than he felt himself violently seized by an unseen power and hurried away he knew not whither. A whole new world stretched out before him, quite unlike the one he had left. A splendid castle surrounded by a huge lake was the abode of the fairy, and the only approach to it was over a bridge of clouds. On the other side of the lake, high mountains rose up, and dark woods stretched along the banks. Over all hung a thick mist, and deep silence reigned everywhere. 
No sooner had the fairy reached her own domain than she made herself visible, and turning to the prince, she told him that unless he obeyed all her commands, down to the minutest detail, he would be severely punished. Then she gave him an axe made of glass, and bade him cross the bridge of clouds, and go into the woods beyond, and cut down all the trees there before sunset. At the same time, she cautioned him with many angry words against speaking to a black girl he would most likely meet in the wood. The prince listened to her words meekly, and when she had finished, took up the glass axe and set out for the forest. At every step he seemed to sink into the clouds, but fear gave wings to his feet, and he crossed the lake in safety and set to work at once. But no sooner had he struck the first blow with his axe than it broke into a thousand pieces against the tree. The poor youth was so terrified he did not know what to do, for he was in mortal dread of the punishment the wicked old fairy would inflict on him. He wandered to and fro in the wood, not knowing where he was going, and at last, worn out by fatigue and misery, he sank on the ground and fell fast asleep. He did not know how long he had slept when a sudden sound awoke him, and, opening his eyes, he saw a black girl standing beside him. Mindful of the fairy's warning, he did not dare to address her, but she on her part greeted him in the most friendly manner, and asked him at once if he were under the power of the wicked fairy. The prince nodded his head silently in answer. Then the black girl told him that she too was in the power of the fairy, who had doomed her to wander about in her present guise until some youth should take pity on her and bear her in safety to the other side of the river which they saw in the distance, and on the other side of which the fairy's domain and power ended. The girl's words so inspired the prince with confidence that he told her all his tale of woe and ended up asking her advice as to how he was to escape the punishment the fairy would be sure to inflict on him when she discovered that he had not cut down the trees in the wood and that he had broken her axe. You must know, answered the black girl, that the fairy in whose power we both are is my own mother, but you must not betray this secret, for it would cost me my life. If you will only promise to try and free me, I will stand by you, and will accomplish for you all the tasks which my mother sets you." The prince promised joyfully all she asked, then having once more warned him not to betray her confidence, she handed him a drop to drink which very soon sunk his senses in a deep slumber. His astonishment was great when he awoke to find the glass axe whole and unbroken at his side and all the trees of the wood lying felled around him. He made all haste across the bridge of clouds, and told the fairy that her commands were obeyed. She was much amazed when she heard that all the wood was cut down, and saw the axe unbroken in his hand, and since she could not believe that he had done all this by himself, she questioned him narrowly if he had seen or spoken to the black girl. But the prince lied manfully, and swore he had never looked up from his work for a moment. 
Seeing she could get nothing more out of him, she gave him a little bread and water and showed him to a small dark cupboard she told him he might sleep there. Morning had hardly dawned when the fairy awoke the prince, and giving him the glass axe again, she told him to cut up all the wood he had felled the day before, and to put it in bundles ready for firewood. At the same time, she warned him once more against approaching or speaking a word to the black girl if he met her in the wood. Although his task was no easier than that of the day before, the youth set out much more cheerfully because he knew he could count on the help of the black girl. With quicker and lighter step, he crossed the bridge of clouds, and hardly had he reached the other side than his friend stood before him and greeted him cheerfully. When she heard what the fairy demanded this time, she answered him smilingly, Never fear, and handed him another draught, which very soon caused the prince to sink into a deep sleep. When he awoke, everything was done. All the trees of the wood were cut up into firewood and arranged in bundles ready for use. He returned to the castle as quickly as he could and told the fairy that her commands were obeyed. She was even more amazed than she had been before and asked him again if he had either seen or spoken to the black girl. But the prince knew better than to betray his word and once more lied freely. On the following day, the fairy set him a third task to do, even harder than the other two. She told him he must build a castle on the other side of the lake, made of nothing but gold, silver, and precious stones, and, unless he could accomplish this within an hour, the most frightful doom awaited him. The prince heard her words without anxiety, so entirely did he rely on the help of his black friend. Full of hope, he hurried across the bridge and recognized at once the spot where the castle was to stand, for spades, hammers, axes, and every other building implement lay scattered on the ground ready for the workman's hand, but of gold, silver, and precious stones there was not a sign. But before the prince had time to feel despondent, the black girl beckoned to him in the distance from behind a rock, where she had hidden herself for fear her mother should catch sight of her. Full of joy, the youth hurried towards her and begged her aid and counsel in the new piece of work he had been given to do. But this time the fairy had watched the prince's movements from her window, and she saw him hiding himself behind the rock with her daughter. She uttered a piercing shriek so that the mountains re-echoed with the sound of it, and the terrified pair had hardly dared to look out from their hiding place when the enraged woman, with her dress and hair flying in the wind, hurried over the bridge of clouds. The prince at once gave himself up for lost, but the girl told him to be of good courage and to follow her as quickly as he could. But before they left their shelter, she broke off a little bit of the rock spoke some magic words over it, and threw it in the direction her mother was coming from. In a moment, a glittering palace arose before the eyes of the fairy, which blinded her with its dazzling splendor, and with its many doors and passages, prevented her for some time from finding her way out of it. In the meantime, the black girl hurried on with the prince, hastening to reach the river, where once on the other side, they would forever be out of the wicked fairy's power.
but before they had accomplished half the way, they heard again the rustling of her garments and her muttered curses pursuing them closely. The prince was terrified. He dared not look back, and he felt his strength giving way. But before he had time to despair, the girl uttered some more magic words, and immediately she herself was changed into a pond, and the prince into a duck swimming on its surface. When the fairy saw this, her rage knew no bounds, and she used all her magic wits to make the pond disappear. She caused a hill of sand to arise at her feet, meaning it to dry up the water at once. But the sand hill only drove the pond a little further away, and its waters seemed to increase instead of diminishing. When the old woman saw that the powers of her magic were of so little avail, she had recourse to cunning. She threw a lot of gold nuts into the pond, hoping in this way to catch the duck. But all her efforts were fruitless, for the little creature refused to let itself be caught. Then a new idea struck the wicked old woman, and hiding herself behind the rock which had sheltered the fugitives, she waited behind it, watching carefully for the moment when the prince and her daughter should resume their natural forms and continue their journey. She had not to wait long, for as soon as the girl thought her mother was safely out of the way, she changed herself and the prince once more into their human shape and set out cheerfully for the river. But they had not gone many steps when the wicked fairy hurried after them, a drawn dagger in her hand, and was close upon them, when suddenly, instead of the prince and her daughter, she found herself in front of a great stone church whose entrance was carefully guarded by a huge monk. Breathless with rage and passion, she tried to plunge her dagger into the monk's heart, but it fell shattered in pieces at her feet. In her desperation, she determined to pull down the church and thus to destroy her two victims forever. She stamped three times on the ground, and the earth trembled, and both the church and the monk began to shake. As soon as the fairy saw this, she retreated to some distance from the building, so as not to be hurt herself by its fall. But once more her scheme was doomed to failure, for hardly had she gone a yard from the church than both it and the monk disappeared, and she found herself in a wood black as night and full of wolves and bears and wild animals of all sorts and descriptions. Then her wrath gave place to terror, for she feared every moment to be torn in pieces by the beasts who one and all seemed to defy her power. She thought it wisest to make her way as best she could out of the forest, and then to pursue the fugitives once more and accomplish their destruction, either by force or cunning. In the meantime, the prince and the black girl had again assumed their natural forms and were hurrying on as fast as they could to reach the river. But when they got there, they found that there was no way in which they could cross it, and the girl's magic art seemed no longer to have any power. Then. Turning to the prince, she said, The hour for my deliverance has not yet come, but as you promised to do all you could to free me, you must do exactly as I bid you now. Take this bow and arrow and kill every beast you see with them, and be sure you spare no living creature. With these words, she disappeared, and hardly had she done so 
Then a huge wild boar started out of the thicket near and made straight for the prince. But the youth did not lose his presence of mind, and drawing his bow, he pierced the beast with his arrow right through the skull. The creature fell heavily on the ground, and out of its side sprang a little hare, which ran like the wind along the river bank. The prince drew his bow once more, and the hare lay dead at his feet. But at the same moment a dove rose up in the air, and circled round the prince's head in the most confiding manner. But, mindful of the black girl's commands, he dared not spare the little creature's life, and taking another arrow from his quiver, he laid it as dead as the boar and the hare. But when he went to look at the body of the bird, he found instead of the dove a round white egg laying on the ground. While he was gazing on it, and wondering what it could mean, he heard the sweeping of wings above him, and looking up he saw a huge vulture with open claws swooping down upon him. In a moment he seized the egg, and flung it at the bird with all his might, and lo and behold, instead of the ugly monster, the most beautiful girl he had ever seen stood before the astonished eyes of the prince. But while all this was going on, the wicked old fairy had managed to make her way out of the wood, and was now using the last resource in her power to overtake her daughter and the prince. As soon as she was in the open again, she mounted her chariot, which was drawn by a fiery dragon, and flew through the air in it. But just as she got to the river, she saw the two lovers in each other's arms swimming through the water as easily as two fishes. Quick as lightning and forgetful of every danger, she flew down upon them, but the water seized her chariot and sunk it in the lowest depths, and the waves bore the wicked old woman down the stream till she was caught in some thorn bushes where she made a good meal for all the little fishes that were swimming about. And so at last the prince and his lovely bride were free. They hurried as quickly as they could to the old king, who received them with joy and gladness. On the following day, a most gorgeous wedding feast was held, and as far as we know, the prince and his bride lived happily forever afterwards. End of chapter 23. Recording by Jennifer Hilo, Hawaii. Oh my goodness. Interesting. That's a lot of animals. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kept being reminded of the little old lady who swallowed a spider because, you know, it was just like, just kept so going many. on and on. And uh, yeah, I, I was a little off put. I don't understand what they mean that, you know, the black girl. I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know either. If that is is a bad, a weird translation, or it meant something different, or you know, if it wasn't necessarily based on race, I don't understand. A little. I think at the beginning they started to say it was Hungarian, and oh. in hung in Hungary, it's like if you have two little itty bitty bits of melanin you're considered the dark one yeah okay yeah so I, see that. I don't know i mean that that would not be i was kind of surprised by that i didn't like it at the beginning but yeah. uh 
you know, whatever. Okay. But yeah, it was uh, you it know was a, a winding little adventure. Uh, you know, again, happily ever after. You know, um, you know, it, it, it's like Grimm versus Anderson on the on the show all the time. You know. Oh, we didn't get, well, to, that the, was we didn't Lang. get to the Raven. That was Lang. Oh, Andrew that was, yeah, Lang. you're right. You're right. That was. Of Hans Christian Anderson. Hans Christian Anderson is, um, what is it? You know. The, no, that, I, I, I misunderstood. Yeah. That country above England uh, that I can't think of. He's a Dane. Yeah. Um, Danish. From Amsterdam. He's Denmark. Danish. Denmark? And then Lang, I'm not sure where he's from, but I could find out from Wikipedia. Well, We've got we can... Grimm from Germany. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I'm just saying it's eight after, uh, you know. Oh, so okay. Yeah, we got to go. But yeah, it was lovely talking to you. Thanks for helping me out, Ken. You're uh, neat. Always I like a pleasure. You. Always a pleasure. And uh, I'll cue up the outro here for you. There we go. <laughs> We finished a lot of things. It's great. Yeah. And uh, put them all away. Check out a camera. And I, I really was PM. curious Check. about the crystal, the glass axe. Yeah. I've never heard of a glass axe, but I have one. Check out. It came from Cleveland, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, every Friday right here on Radio for Humans. Yeah, come in. Enjoy it on Friday, and then come back on Tuesday. And, and Michelle Thursday. will be here. Michelle will be here next Tuesday. Yeah, you'll like it. It'll be fun. For fairy nights. It's a blast bringing this stuff to you. Radioforhumans.com.